Welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm Dave Cohen. And I'm James Carey. And we are delighted today to have a special guest, uh, a writer who uh, both of us have worked with a a huge amount over the years, but in fact he has himself worked a whole lot more. He's written for dozens, so many sitcoms, I'm not even going to name them here because they will all come up um, in the interview, but uh, please give a lovely not-going-out welcome to uh, Danny Peake. Hello. Hello. Hello, Danny. Thanks very much for joining us. You're very welcome. I've never been on a podcast before, so I'm looking forward to this. Wow, you're the last Ooh. person in Britain not to have been on a podcast. How did you I manage that? I have a very that? strict rule that I never go on a podcast unless um, somebody asks. Okay. And by that criterion, you're we the first ones to meet yeah. it. Yeah. There we go. Brilliant. Uh, in fact, um, I'm thinking uh, you've never been on a podcast, and not only that, you haven't even made your own podcast as well, which is... Uh, not yet. Many people no. have done that. Not yet. That too. Well, he's too busy mm. making actual television programmes, which is brilliant. But let's go back to the beginning. What we normally like to start with is just ask, you know, what were you watching, sat on the carpet, sitting up at that brightly coloured screen? Um, what were you watching that made you end up thinking, comedy, uh, I could do that. Uh, anything in particular jump out, especially sitcoms? Yeah, well, you know, the first thing that I can remember really enjoying as a piece of comedy on TV, it wasn't a sitcom. Uh, it was a particular moment on the Kenny Everett show, probably oh, wow. around 1980. And I, I, I described this sketch, and I don't know whether this is an iconic and well-beloved sketch and everybody knows it or whether it's just me. It was um, Kenny Everett as Rod Stewart's. Yeah. Remember this one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he comes on, he struts out onto the stage, he's dressed as Rod Stewart, he's got the wig, he's got the leopard skin pants, he's singing, Do You Think I'm Sexy? And every time the camera cuts wide, his arse has got bigger. Oh, yes. 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 And and then it goes back in, it goes back in tight on his face again, he sings a bit more, it cuts wide, his arse is bigger still. There's about two minutes of this. And at the end of the sketch, it's become so large, it's also somehow become filled with helium and he lifts off the studio floor he drifts up towards the lights and explodes <laughs> right and i just remember i don't know maybe i was six or seven that i thought i was going to die for, i thought i was going to die from laughing at this sketch you know i couldn't breathe i was in pain i was i was crying there was no strength in, in any of my yeah. bones i was lying on the floor thinking i'm going to die and, and that's okay, you know, that's not a bad way to go because it was just so sublimely funny. I've watched it since, I, I put it on them. Um, if you go on YouTube and put Kenny Everett, Rod Stewart, yeah. it doesn't take long to find it, it's, it's really funny. Yeah, um, yeah I remember. With also, but at the age of six, whatever you were, with no real concept of who Rod Stewart is. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, well, my mum was quite a big Rod fan, so oh, okay. I, I did, but yeah, but yeah, it just was the silliness. It okay. was a bit like, mm. for me, the Bee Gees only existed because Kenny Everett impersonated them. Because <laughs> the Bee Gees, was just, yeah. they were just not on my radar. But when he would do his three-person split-screen uh, yeah. thing, you know, he, it's, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? But they were golden times, yeah. actually, for sketch comedy. Because you had Kenny Everett, who is much forgotten. You still had Benny Hill going, uh, for, yeah. for better or worse. But then you, had, you still had Morecambe and Wise. And you had the two Ronnies who were just all, not just getting going, but they were absolutely at their pomp, weren't they? Yeah, there was tons of that stuff around. Yeah. But I, I, it was just um, a force of nature at that point. I never, I wasn't aware that anybody had, had written it or made it happen. It just yeah. appeared by magic. 
uh, the first time that I watched something that was very written and became aware that, you know, people sat down and planned this and wrote it, and it's a job, and maybe I could aspire to do it as well, is very predictable, I'm afraid, but it would be Blackadder for me. Okay. It would be the one, Blackadder 2 and Blackadder 4 uh, mm. in particular, because that's when I was a teenager. And that was the one. I remember being, uh, I loved Rowan Atkinson, of course, and Stephen Fry and Baldrick and all that. Mm. But I just remember being really impressed that there were those two names that came up at the beginning of the show. And those guys weren't in it. And Ben Elton was a celebrity. I knew who he was. He was famous anyway. But they were just names on the screen who somehow had, were responsible for this whole thing. Yeah. That's interesting because you're a similar age to James. I know James, you were uh, a huge um, Blackadder fan yeah. as well. So yeah. was that was that the same for you, James? Out of interest, I think so. Curtis Selton. Yeah. yeah, Blackadder is. I've sort of memorised episodes, series two, three, and four. Yes, um, especially series four because I was able to. T- we, we had a VHS recorder by then, so I was able to take yeah. it off the off the telly. Um, but I think also in particular that that show felt in in a. I guess it feels insulting, but it's not meant to be. It felt slightly written. Yeah, absolutely, um, yeah. Especially, you know, when once Blackadder gets going and he's, you know, your brain is so minute that if a hungry cannibal cracked your head open, there wouldn't be enough inside to cover a small water biscuit. It's yeah. like, that's so obviously written. And the magic that they're just sort of coming up with this is, you know, that, that doesn't quite hold water there. So That's right, um, it's on the page. And it's all, it's very um, P.G. Woodhouse, isn't it? And I... I, I'd never read any PG Woodhouse at the time. Um, and so I thought they just magicked that style of, of mm. writing out of, out of thin air. And only after I got interested in the people who'd written that show and the people who were in that show and found out they were all big Woodhouse fans did I then go off and read Jeeves yeah. and Worcester and stuff and go, oh, the, oh this stuff yeah. that already existed. Yeah, you know, yeah. it came from somewhere. Mm. Um, mm. And how yeah, did you get, I think the yeah. fact it was so written. And yeah. how did you get from there to... Uh, writing a script, I, I want to say the word bunk bed boys. Um, yeah. And because I, I seem to remember, so we ended up, for the benefit of the listener, Danny and I ended up uh, quite some time ago writing on a, a, a largely forgotten mainstream studio sitcom called My Hero, which had Ardlow Handlin in it. And then in the final series had James Dreyfus in it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I ended up working on series four. And I'd been working with Paul Mayhew Archer, who was sort of essentially show running that show. Um, And then I remember John Stroud or somebody who's sadly no longer with us, uh, pulled in this guy called Danny Peake. And he waxed lyrical about a script that he'd written called The Bunk Bed Boys. Have I kind of remembered that rightly? Yeah, you've remembered that. That's correct. um, I won a competition with that script. So that's how I I got in. Right. the, the long version of this story, I'll try and this is this, this is long. the podcast for the long version. Is it? <laughs> Fire away. Right. Well, here we go. Okay. So you're with was, friends, when, Danny. Yeah. When I was 18, so this story begins 10 years earlier than than that meeting that you're speaking about. Uh, when I was 18 years old, I just finished my A levels, and there was a comp- writing competition in the Radio Times uh, to write a TV and um, sitcom script, uh, which I entered and uh, won. And it was a very, very exciting moment for me. I mean, partly because it wasn't a competition, you know, for young people or teenagers or whatever. It was, a, it was open to the whole population. Uh, and it wasn't just 
that I, it was affiliated to like a proper awards ceremony as well for proper TV shows that were actually on. So when I won this competition, I actually went to a, a ceremony in London hosted by Angus Deaton. Uh, you know, I had to wear, a, I didn't have a suit, I had to borrow a suit from my dad, which didn't fit very well. I went down uh, and there was um, uh, Bedil and Newman were there. Which oh, wow. dates it as a double act. It does. Um, Armando Inucci was there for on the hour on the radio. Wow! But it was just like so it was the, almost the first thing that I'd ever written, and it and it won this prize. The doors were flung open. I was hanging out with famous people, and I thought, well, that was easy. You know, it's, it's only two years since I was watching Blackadder, thinking I'd like to do this, and and here we are. Um, and of course, for the next decade after that, absolutely nothing <laughs> happened. Yeah. You know, I just got the story back to front. You're supposed to struggle for a bit and have a big break. I had a massive break very, very early. And then and then 10 years of struggle, probably because I didn't then do what I ought to have done, which was to, to try and get into sketch comedy, you know, to try right. and uh, become yeah. part of that weekending team, maybe that so many people came through. That's um, very interesting because presumably it, it didn't sort of, it, it seemed like, not the it seemed like the obvious choice for you was to just do what you'd done but you'd done your writing you've won a prize you're mm -hmm. a bbc writer now why why would you go back to writing one-line jokes for five quid on weekending well that's yeah i kind of i mean the thing with this award that i've won is there was nothing um so i got a lovely trophy and i got some money which was great because i was just going off to university but there was no um, development deal or mentorship or anything. It was just, well done, you've won the prize, off you go. Hmm. Um, so when I then went back to, to try and write something else, what I then wrote was another half hour BBC One studio sitcom script, which I then submitted to lots of people who said, well, you liked it, you know, I think it was, it was promising, but nobody was going to make it or develop it. And I was told, well, maybe, maybe if you if you start trying to break your way into radio comedy, or maybe if you uh, find some actors who you can work with, or and I said that's great, yeah, that's really good advice. And then I would go back home and write another half hour BBC One studio sitcom, and I basically did that for about ten years. Uh, and in that whole ten years, I think I had two I had two jokes on weekending, not not sketches, just you know quickies, and. Um, and strangely, I managed to get a cartoon, one panel cartoon published in Punch magazine. But that was that was it for that was it for 10 years. Anyway, then then another competition came along. This is the bunk bed boys bit. Another competition came along. Uh, this is in about 2002, and it was part of the BBC New Talent Initiative, mm. uh, which ran across all of the BBC. So I think people could be applied to do sports reporting or you could be a weather forecaster or you could write Yeah, I remember drama. that thing, I think, yeah. Yeah, uh, and there was a stand-up award, I think, associated with it. But one of them was uh, TV sitcom writing. Um, and it was a terrific scheme because I, I entered that and 10 of us were shortlisted uh, and the 10 of us were brought down to spend a week at TV Centre where we read our scripts, we shared them, we worked on them together and people came in um, to look at them with us and to talk to us. People like uh, Graham Linehan came in, uh, Paul Mayhew Archer, Marks and Gran, uh, Susan Nixon, all these people just came in and kind of gave us masterclasses. And at the end of that, we, um, three of us then had 
um, staged versions of our shows put on um, in a theatre. And at the end of that, the one of them, which was mine in the end, actually got piloted and put out on BBC Three. Wow. I know, it was wow. astonishing. I was so fortunate when I look back at it now that that existed because well, I didn't have any contact. I wasn't somebody who, like, who I've never performed. I've never worked with performers. It really was just kind of me in my bedroom But also, typing. there was no, just to, you know, because in some ways what you're talking about mirrors my own experience in the sense of how would you learn how to write a sitcom? Well, there was no, there was mm. no internet to learn. There was no Sitcom Geeks podcasts. No, there weren't really any books. I've got one book on my shelf, which is Writing Comedy by uh, Ronald Wolf, who wrote The Rag Trade. You know, really. <laughs> on the buses. On the buses. You know, yeah. I mean, like, the, you know, great. I mean, that was an incredibly successful sitcom writer. But the way you wrote sitcoms is you, you watched sitcoms. And you go, well, I kind of know what the rhythm and, and the grammar and the yeah. fact that you need to have a payoff here and you need to, there needs to be a plot and it needs to go wrong and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So I guess in a way you're, you're being very humble saying I was very lucky in 2002 to get this thing. But you'd spent 10 years writing sitcom scripts and refusing yeah. to stop, you know, <laughs> despite it, all yeah. of the advice and the good and the wisdom to the contrary. You just kept <laughs> doing true. it. Yeah. That's true. I mean, I did. Get, I, I got a little way with some of them, and I had a lot of encouragement from people like, um, to drop the name of a friend of the show, David Tyler. Oh, um, yeah, um, at Positive, who really he did kind of mentor me in a way. Not officially, he just gave me an awful lot of advice and took me out for an awful lot of cups of coffee and and tried to get some of my work produced. Um, I owe a huge amount. He did a huge amount for my career, David. I did absolutely nothing for him because I've never, since I've actually had things made, I've, I've never had the chance to work with him again. But um, yeah, he was amazing. Um, yeah. So I was getting advice from people, but you're right. Yeah, there was there was no kind of community of writers or... But, but it's interesting. Like it. Yeah, it's interesting though, the difference between when you won that competition age 18 and you were just... It was just like you 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 were in a void at that point, and then yes. just the the small difference of obviously you went on beyond that for for reasons that we know because you're a great prolific writer, but um you know you you were in a, a bunch of ten people who got a week of advice. That's all it took, and that that mm. that you know it's not a huge amount to ask for the BBC, um, and the BBC did used to do a lot more of this. Um, so yeah. I, I, I guess there was that difference that this time you came back, plus you had your eight, ten years of doing more writing. Mm. But now you had, you got to meet, I mean, it must be very exciting to meet Angus Deaton and, um, and Badil and, and you and whatever, but actually <laughs> yes. to meet people who were doing what you were doing and telling you how to do it, like Graham and Susan and people. I mean, that is just... Um, yeah, yeah, to really they, engage with them and have them look learning, at the work you? you're doing. Yeah, it was terrific. Yeah. And out of that, so the show that got made, um, The Bunk Bed Boys, it was a pilot. It went out on BBC Three when BBC Three was a new channel the first time around. Right. Uh, I think it went out on a Thursday night at about half past 11. I don't think anybody watched it that I didn't know personally. Um, and it never went any further. But as a result of that week, I, you know, I kind of, I knew, I just, I knew people. Mm. And I knew how to get in touch with them and they were willing to have conversations with me. And as a result of that, 
and I, I got in the door at, at my hero and at two mm. pints of lager and a packet of crisps. And at, um, how many of those did my you write? parents are aliens? I wrote, I think I wrote about eight episodes, so not a huge yeah. amount given how long that show ran for. Well, that's but still I'm, quite a lot, but also again, it's just practice where, where mm. it, it's improving your craft in a crucible that actually matters, it makes a difference. And I think yeah. what, what you're saying particularly chimes with me, this sort of overall theme so far is that in a way you wrote a script that was great and you won a competition, but it didn't actually get you anywhere. Because the right. most, and I, and, I, and I worry that lots, that there are script competitions and people think I just need to write that one script and I'm, and I'm sorted. It's yeah. like, there's actually a, a 15 year, period of improving as a writer to the point where you know you 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 make more of the opportunities you get and you and you probably look back yeah. on the stuff that you there's been broadcast and cringe and just think oh my goodness what on earth was i doing but um it's sure. about constant improvement of skills isn't it of course and that looking back from the from 2022 although i was disappointed at the time that both of the prize winning scripts weren't developed into anything I'm extremely grateful for that now because I think it would have been kind of a disaster on both counts if I'd been given a series and been allowed to kind of sink all of my hopes and aspirations mm. into that one idea that I had. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was much better. It was much better that I was um, that I was allowed to meet lots of different people, work on different shows, mm. and not feel as invested in any particular show as I would have done if it had it been my baby and also kind of you know learn to write in different voices and, and learn to pick up the rhythms of of, of, a, of a, a BBC One studio audience show and the ways that they might differ from say a single camera a children's ITV show or or yeah. whatever it was it was um, yeah it was much more useful I hope you're enjoying this uh, interview with Danny Peake. Uh, it's just great to hear someone's story about how they get into where they are as a writer. He is, of course, incredibly successful and a thoroughly nice man too. But we're just going to interject here with a little bit of uh, sort of sitcom news, as it were. The results of our own sitcom competition with Hattrick will be announced on Wednesday, the 16th of March. Uh, Dave, what have you got for us? Just to let you know that there are uh, there's quite a few competitions coming up. Um, the David Nobbs one, I think, has just finished, but uh, there's a sitcom script competition with BCG Pro, and uh, of course the BAFTA comedy competition will be coming up. Uh, that that starts in April. Um, just to let you know, I'm running a series, a new series of uh, emails, a fortnight of free emails um, from the, the 14th. So if you uh, want to get some uh, basic tips uh, about sitcom writing. Uh, just uh, email me funnyup02 at gmail.com that's funnyup02 at gmail.com uh, and uh, sign up for your free emails great I've also got a newsletter if you want to jump into that go onto my sitcom geeks blog and I'll keep you updated about stuff that's happening slightly further down the line so I'll keep you posted on that but easiest way to do that is go to at sitcom geek on twitter um, and also we are at sitcom geeks and you can also join us on Patreon. If you can't wait for the rest of this uh, interview with Danny Peake, we've got the second half of the first half coming up now, but the second half will be coming up uh, in due course. And also an interview with Jimmy Mulville and also the brilliant screenwriter Ashley Farrow. Our patrons are already getting hold of those. So you might want to um, join us on Patreon where there's also an extra episode a month 
where you can ask us anything uh, all in a Zoom room uh, and uh, usually that's quite good fun. So join us on Patreon, Google Sitcom Geeks Patreon and uh, you will stumble across us very, very quickly. And now back to Danny. So then, so by the time you got the, your series, um, the uh, series, again, BBC Three, I think, was it? Uh, or BBC North, um, the uh, I'm With Stupid. So you'd probably yeah. use it in quite a few sitcoms. And that was... Um, that was 2005 tell us a little bit about that show all right so yeah that was a bbc3 uh show it was nationwide but it was it was bbc3 um and that was the first show where i wrote all the scripts um but it wasn't i didn't create it it was kind of offered to me um and i very gratefully accepted it but i think there had been yeah i think it was one of those shows where there had been a year or more of different meetings and development things and people in and out the door uh, by the time it got to the stage I was where I found out about it and um, it was developed it was developed originally by a Manchester writer called um, Peter Keeley who, who stayed on he was part of it all the way through he put a lot of the stories together um, with me and um, basically what it, it was about um, a relationship between these two guys it was it was an odd couple show so uh, one of the characters um, lives in warden controlled uh, sheltered housing. He's got a disability, uses a wheelchair, uh, played by Paul Henshaw on the TV. And the other character in the couple was Mark Benson, who was um, a rough sleeper. His home nice. rough sleeper is where we find him at the start. And in the pilot episode, the two of them meet, kind of, sort of befriend each other, sort of take mutual advantage of each other to the point where they end up uh, flat share. So it became an odd couple flat share because the homeless guy mm. moves into the sheltered accommodation with the other guy. Um, one gets a home, one gets a carer. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what it was. Um, yeah. It was a, it was a pilot, single camera pilot um, and it, it won an RTS award. And I think probably off the back of that, it then got a series um, commissioned. So it was about the two of them and about the kind of ensemble of people uh, around them. Uh, the first thing, was, sorry, go on, Dave. I was just going to say that I watched, uh, I, I watched a bit of it just ahead of uh, thing because I, because I, I didn't, I didn't remember it when it came out. But I was mm. really, I was quite surprised, really, uh, that considering how old, old it, it was, that it, it was quite a groundbreaking show, and it's the sort of thing that, you know, for years people are saying, why aren't, you know, why aren't we making more shows with uh, characters with disabilities? But yeah. you know and a comedy way and it's great because the character who has the disability isn't particularly nice you know? no he's quite manipulative he's kind of the yeah the albert steps over the pair of them really yeah yeah that's a good uh yeah good comparison I, yeah I hadn't, I hadn't thought that but no you mentioned it but yeah it was um and 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 you know we've we've been talking about this for so much really haven't we james but um oh you you can't do this sort of thing because you have to make these people likable and and uh so um but yeah it's great. Uh, well there was i mean there was an ensemble of um actors in it and a lot of the actors had uh, disabilities and some of them were nice characters some of them were yeah some of them were really quite nasty actually um it just that yeah i guess that was just not really an issue i mean one thing i would say about that show I would like to say about that show is that I probably shouldn't have written it. I think, right? Um, and I got the opportunity looking, yeah, to write it, and back I now, accepted it. But yeah, yeah, from the perspective of, of time, I 
think that if that if it was being made now, I yeah. wouldn't be offered that job, and and quite right too. I probably shouldn't just because there are plenty of other good writers out there who are in better placed uh, to write it. It wasn't, you know, it didn't really speak to my experience. It, you know, a lot of it was about disability and it was about society's attitudes towards disability. Um, and I think I probably just missed out on lots of opportunities for good stories and characters and jokes. Um, that another writer would more readily have, have come yeah. up with. I think it would have been a richer show, perhaps, if somebody else had written it. Having said which, it was funny and it was good. <laughs> and it was on. And it was can't on. Be, yeah. You can't yeah. be that. And you got paid. I mean, that's there's right. lots, yeah. lot, lots I to mean, I, I sort of agree with you. Just very quickly before we move on uh, from that. But I, um, I, I I do agree, certainly now. And, um, you know, I've, I've certainly felt that I, with horrible histories, I'd said, you know, I can't... I. I don't want to write anymore. I don't want to be the guy who writes songs about Martin Luther King and uh, uh, and, and um, Rosa Parks anymore. You know, you've got mm. to get. I, I'm not. I'm not quite the person who should be writing it. But but it wasn't unusual at that time. And and I and I, and I think you got you get a perspective of of seeing it. You know, and it's as long as it's done in a reasonably sensitive way, you get a perspective on on something. I think I think this is going mm. to be in a debate for a, that's going to come on for a long time of you know can a can a gay actor play gay can, yeah. Uh, yeah or play straight or, or what all that kind of stuff mm. so it's going to be with us for a while I think but um but, so I've, I've you, got a question uh, just to jump mm. in here with um I I yeah uh, in terms of the I don't think you have to have a lived experience to write about something uh, but I, I'm aware that the optics of that aren't always um you know. Uh, there's a there's always a context for everything so but that's so. a I mean, for another my, time I was going to well, say a point about that isn't like political like I ought not to have been mm. allowed to write those stories or those characters um, it's rather just I just think there are probably a bunch of other people who would have yeah. brought more to it <laughs> than I did yeah, yeah and actually well, there was a, probably an opportunity to bring someone on with less experience than you yeah. um, that you could have then helped they would have helped with the stories and the insights you might have helped with the structure and the experience and I think yeah, we do need to so. help each other. So, yeah. so you know, when when commissioners are saying, well, where are all the writers representing this community or that community? It's like, well, it's a pretty steep learning curve. And you know what? Not everyone's up for up for that necessarily because it is so, uh, so dramatic, you know, and you're so exposed if you write a comedy and um, it's got your name on it, then it's, it's kind of on you. I'd just love to know a bit about... Um, so by this stage of your career, as it were, you're, you're kind of flying, which is great. But what what's your um, what's your natural process in terms of are you, are you do you immediately see scenes, set piece scenes, and stories? Do you think of you know do you think of jokes quite quickly? Um, are you a stickler for a you know you've you, you've made the same mistake so many times now that you have to make sure you do X or Y before you get too excited about A, B or C. What, what's, where, where do you tend to fall on all this? Uh, so I, um, I do plan a lot. I'm not sure if this is quite an answer to your question, but I am very methodical about mm. writing everything, planning things. I try not to be seduced by the idea that it would be really funny Um you know, if a plant pot fell on this character's head 20 minutes into the episode, if I don't know how I'm going to get there, I try and just put all those thoughts aside. Right. And um, 
And I work, so for example, at the show that I've obviously written most of for the last few years is not going out. And Lee and I spend a lot of time planning that out in, in huge detail before a single word of the script is written. Mm. And that, that whole, so for just now, actually, I've spent the last two weeks um, on Skype with Lee planning out a story. And I don't think we've got a single joke for it yet. I mean, maybe there are a couple of them have come up along the way, but it's the process has been just total logistics, you know? Yeah. How, what can this character do in this situation? How do they get out of it? How is it made worse? Uh, oh, here's a good idea, but it's, it's, un, it's undone something that we liked earlier on. So do we change the bit here or do we go back and do that bit earlier on? Um, and only when that's all finalized, would I dare to try and think of a funny line, <laughs> really? That's um, that's interesting. So it's a mixture of so um, th th there's a lot of um, there's a lot of collaboration going on uh, to get to that point. Because mm. I think I, I think a lot of times now, and we've been reading a lot of scripts recently for a competition. Um, I, I I do feel that somebody when they're kind of developing their story idea they need somebody to say and i'm sure you will have had these conversations with lee uh, you say oh what if da, da 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 and you will say or lee will say no lee lee's character wouldn't do that mm. and and there's 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 a there is a tendency i find for people to tend to go yeah and then okay well let's take him out to this place or let's give him this and and it's the 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 story runs away with it. So how, how, yeah. how kind of mindful are you of the character? Um, well, when, when I'm writing well, very mindful of the character, but I, you know, I fall into that hole myself all the time. I think um, it's talking to me, actually, I think that's a bit of, um, I don't know if you would agree with this, but that's sometimes a, a, a tension between us in a good way is that I will tend to sometimes think, oh, it would be great to get to, to that place over there and how can we steer the story in that direction? Whereas his tendency is more often to say, well, that's all well and good, but the question is, where do we go from here? Mm, yeah. And if there isn't something authentic and plausible and believable that a character can do in this situation, then you can forget about the funny thing later because no one will be taking the story seriously um, anymore. And um, when I'm writing on my own, I suppose I just try and do that channel sort of in a, Lee Mack and stop myself um, making that mistake. Yeah. I and think the way people, I do this, yeah, I, go I don't know about you, but when, I, when I'm writing on my own, is I, I either literally talk out loud to myself quite a lot, or I keep um, a, a Word document open next to the scripts in which I almost literally write down a sort of dialogue with myself. <laughs> you, just, you know, so if I have the idea, well, wouldn't it be interesting if this happened? Yes, but... I'm not sure if that's plausible. I will literally write down the words, wouldn't it be interesting if this happened? Yeah, no, hang on a minute. That doesn't make sense because of this. And so even when I'm writing on my own, I try to make it, um, I, I, I talk to myself. And so, like a sort of literal explanation of, this will be funny because X, Y, Z. Yeah, yeah. It okay. probably reads like the ravings of a, of a serial killer if you were to look at one of those uh, notebooks. But for every, yeah, for every script that I write, there's always an, another document next to it called Notebook, which is uh, probably about 12,000 words long by the end. Okay. I've got, I, I think I've got sort of ha hangover 
uh, files and documents, uh, you know, and with Milton's show that I do with him, yes. we all, at the end of a script, we always have a thing called a joke bag, which is a whole load of bits and pieces that we talked about along the way that we just want to keep hold of until we've actually recorded it and it's too late and we can't do any more jokes about allotments you had your chance <laughs> there we go and it's you know and it's 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 the and milton's are normally in blue and dan evans who is the other writer on the show his stuff's always in brown um and I, i'm the one sort of trying to keep it on track so, so that it makes right. some sort of sense yes um so it's it's an interesting process but i, th I think what you've just said then described is what a lot of um, listeners, I think, would would really do well to take heed of, just because Dave and I have read between us six hundred odd scripts, um, and Hattrick have read another hundred or so, and sometimes they start well and run out of steam, and sometimes mm -hmm. they don't actually start very well and then run out of steam. <laughs> um, but or there there are interesting characters, an interesting situation. You think, oh, this feels like this has got a life of its own in some way but there just isn't a plot that even gets you to page 12 really and i th i just yeah. don't think that people realize how how boring and meticulous you have to be about the story mm. which will get you all of the way to the end of the script so that it's more than a sum total of the parts but you know absolutely i think yeah. that's more than i think it's more than half of the writing process yeah. is that storyline document yeah. even if it's only you know four pages long yeah most of the work i think is is there although it's probably much longer i mean a not going out script or if you were for or even for you know let's talk about code 404 i mean mm. you're writing a script from scratch as it were but you're yeah. but you're writing from probably are you doing a scene by scene beforehand are you do you do you know what's happening yes. in every single scene and how long is that document in total how many words do you think um, I so the answer is yes. I, I do always have a scene by scene, and I do know exactly what's going to happen in every scene. And that might change, of course. You start might yeah. come up with an idea in the scripting, but um, that would be uh, I don't know, maybe off three or four thousand words yeah. long, um, yeah. and and not very funny as well. No, you know, I mean, hopefully yeah. the story, if the story is intrinsically funny, there'll be a, there'll be a turn in the plot that's amusing. But it won't have it won't be jokes it will just be uh, it's just a manual it's yeah. a story manual yeah yeah that's the end of part one of this interview next time we're going to get into big top and if you can't wait of course you could join us on patreon and get access straight away <laughs>